Hello! Welcome to the first episode of the Pop Up the Volume podcast. I'm Justin Glutley, the host. So, for my inaugural episode, I got to interview the lovely Dorothy Elias Fawn. Now, for those of you who don't know, she's probably one of the most prolific voice actors in the world of anime. She's been doing voiceover for English dubs and anime going as far back as the early 90s. Uh, some of her more prolific roles include Meryl Strife and Trigun, Kamiya Kaoru and Rurouni Kenshin, Naru Naru Sagawa and Love Hina, Nina Purpleton and Mobile Suit Gundam 0083 Stardust Memories, Conan and Naruto, Lilymon and Tai's mom in the original series of Digimon, and many, many others. She's in so many different English dubs of anime that more than likely, if you watch English dubs of anime at all, You've almost certainly heard her voice in at least one of them at some point, whether it be a main starring role or some small supporting role. You've more than likely heard her voice come up at least once or twice. If you don't know, she's also married to fellow voice actor Tom Fawn, who is most famous for voicing Agumon and Digimon, among others, and is also part of a family of actors as both his brother and sister Jonathan Fawn and Melissa Fawn respectively are both established voice actors in their own right. So yeah, I've had the pleasure of meeting Dorothy at cons a number of times over the years, and each time it's been a wonderful delight. So I thought, who better to start off for my inaugural episode of this podcast than to have her come on as my first guest? Uh, here we'll cover her career, how the industry has changed over the years, how she got started in the first place, that kind of stuff. So sit back, relax, and let's hear what Dorothy Fawn has to say about her illustrious career. Enjoy! Dorothy, thank you very much for coming on. Thanks for having me. So, you've been in this business, specifically in voiceover for anime, for a long time. But before we get to that, I want to know just how acting in general kind of began for you. Like, what was the beginning that kind of really made you fall into it and really decide, really just get into the, the craft of acting and led you to, like, wanting to pursue it as a career? Um, probably... Uh, like a lot of people, it was in high school, you know. Um, I had done plays in elementary school and then nothing for a long, long time. And I started um, singing um, between that time. And when I got to high school, um, you know, wow, they do musicals. Okay, I sing, so let's try that. And I did, and it was really fun. And I just got really into it. And so I got to do all these plays and musicals in high school. And then... Um, yeah, so after that, I kind of pursued, got into actors' equity and stuff like that. Did yeah. you have any formal training as you were kind of getting into it? Not until after that. Not until after high school. Then I took, like, formal voice lessons, and uh, I went to Cal State Long Beach and got my degree in theater. Um, so I took actual acting classes, and I went to the American Academy of Dramatic Arts, and, um, you know, classes here and there. So, yeah, I got really focused on that. <laughs> nice. 
initially were you pursuing film and television or were you more just looking into like on stage professionally like what was kind of your pursuit at that point yeah it was uh it was mainly stage i loved theater and i did it all the time and i felt really comfortable doing stage work and you know i thought maybe eventually i'd um go to new york and like really pursue it professionally but marriage got in the way Um, (laughs) but uh, but yeah and at the time too we were trying to pursue like commercials I did a few commercials back then I never had any um like tv or film um that just wasn't the thing nobody knew what to do with me they look at me and they're like what are you I'm not sure so yeah but uh but so it was mostly stage and some commercial stuff because VO at the time was not really much of an option it was like nothing going on (laughs) plus at that time too like that wasn't really necessarily a thing that most people were like actively pursuing like that they had in their head right Mm -mm. yeah uh because it wasn't like it is now there was so little going on it wasn't on anyone's radar as like a thing to pursue um like i knew there were saturday morning cartoons and that's really all i knew and there was no anime literally at the time um it was just Well, and, like, the only, like, named voice actors I think people probably knew at that time, too, was, like, disc jockeys like Casey Kasem or or something like that, too, right? Uh, yeah, from, like, Scooby-Doo. Yeah. yeah. He was like, wasn't he on Scooby-Doo? Was, wasn't Casey Kasem on Scooby-Doo? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. That's right. Ooh, Shaggy. I don't know. <laughs> yeah you you mentioned your husband that brings up tom when you met him i'm curious about how you met because i haven't gone to your panels before i remember you talked <laughs> about how like you two are i mean you both are fun nerds and that's what i love about you too but you also <laughs> mentioned i remember at your panel that i went to with you a couple years ago you two come from very different families oh yeah but you oh, are yeah. both actors and and kind of met that way so i'm kind of curious about like that encounter and like how you came together and then like how did even though you said like you ended up staying in cali because you got married you guys were both still actors pursuing the arts so did that kind of give it an advantage in any way um well yeah we were both um acting was our thing that was what we wanted to pursue um but uh, but yeah we came from completely different backgrounds you know, he came from a family of jazz musicians, loud screaming all the time. I came from a very quiet, sedate, we're reading our book now, let's play Scrabble type <laughs> family. Very different. I don't know how I came out like this. Nobody in my family was a performer in any way. I was like this black sheep that popped out of nowhere. Um, but yeah, we met in college in theater and uh, got married the year after we graduated and we thought about going to New York because we both wanted to be actors, but we decided to pursue it here in LA because our, our family is here. Well, he grew up in New York too, right? He grew up in, uh, on Long Island in New York and he still has, you know, a lot of cousins and, uh, you know, people like that, but, uh, both our immediate families were out here. So we decided to just stay and try and pursue whatever out here. (laughs) Yeah. So in that kind of period, once you guys made that decision to stay in in between like the gap from then to once we get into your voiceover career, 
what was kind of the day-to-day process there, like the kind of work and, and all that kind of stuff. I guess I, I'm, I'm wanting to know some of the events that led to you guys both finally breaking into voiceover in that oh, time. Well, <laughs> that was completely by accident. I don't know if, you know, we ever mentioned this on a panel. Um, but yeah, we were just, you know going out on auditions all the time, you know, driving to commercial auditions, you know, I was driving to theater auditions, you know, working our jobs and it was just kind of exhausting. But, um, so one of the jobs Tom had was at a film company and, um, this guy that he worked for, uh, Victor Garcia. Yes. Great guy. Heard his name. He, um, he just came up to Tom one day and Steve Bloom, who was also working at the film company. And said, you know what, you guys, I I got this project. It's a cartoon from Japan, and they want to dub it into English. And I know you guys are actors. Would you be interested in in doing that and helping me out and working on this? Um, and they're like, yeah, sure. And he's like, and uh, Dorothy is an actor too, right? And Jonathan, Melissa, and you guys, you're all actors, right? Do you think they all want to do it? Yeah. So completely by accident not pursuing it in any way it wasn't you know like i said not even a thing at the time so victor got us in on these first um anime through kenny adomi i think he brought them in uh like orgus what super dimension century orgus guyver and a, a bunch of other stuff guyver and yeah so we we worked on a couple of those and we're like yeah this is really fun sure yeah we'll do it right and then just more came along and a few more came along and suddenly like that's all we're doing (laughs) (laughs) we just dropped into anime and went (laughs) i guess on that at that beginning since you guys were kind of just like flying by the seat of your pants like not knowing anything about it kind of how was that process uh at the beginning because i know it was one having again gone to your panels like i know les claypool talked about how like the audio recording technology they had then was like super cheap and oh yeah and you guys also because you didn't know anything you guys were actually recording together initially and they'd be like well, hours where like somebody wouldn't be able to say anything because you were still trying to cat- match those lip flaps so i am kind of curious about that transition at the beginning yeah it's it was um for us it was learning how to dub right? Because no one, no one had done that before. We're going in with a cartoon that's already made and dubbing new words into it so it fits and makes sense. Um, it was, a, it was a, a new adventure in multitasking and acting. And we, we all kind of had to figure it out, uh, you know, as we're going. And, um, you know, but, but also the technology had to figure it out as we were going. You know, they didn't know what they were doing with this new thing and we didn't know what we we're doing so we're learning as we're going along and yeah there there were no beeps um you know <laughs> to let you know when to start the line um and there was no soundproofing in some of the studios so you'd get this echo echo when you're trying to record something and you know they had a bunch of us in the room at the same time to record like in regular animation but you can't do that when you're doing anime you have to do it one at a time um, because when you're doing regular animation, you're not doing it to picture. You're, it's like you're doing a staged reading, and it's really, really fun. But when you have to be exact and match the dub, 
if there's a bunch of people trying to do it at the same time, messed up. It is messed up. So, you know, we learned as we went along. Technology learned as they went along. And, you know, it was the wild, wild west of, of voice acting. <laughs> do you recall? Now, I know Tom's first role was the Giver. And that was also coincidentally the same anime that Melissa and... Well, I'm blanking on his name, sorry. Yeah, Steve Bloom, who you just mentioned. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was the first role that they all kind of began in. Do you remember what your first one was? First big character. That was more than like an offhand side wallow role or something. Um, well, Shia in August was a main character. You know, not in a like super popular anime. I mean, there are fans of that show out there, of course. But I think it was like, it came up before you know, anime itself became super popular. So, like, people didn't even know about it. But, um, I mean, other than that, like, a, like a breakout role for me was probably Meryl in Trigun. That was, uh, you know, love <laughs> loved that part so much. Wish there was more of it. Yeah. <laughs> Same. That was probably the role that I think I first identified with you with. So, for what it's worth, yeah. <laughs> loved it, loved it. <laughs> You mentioned that you think that was your breakout role. What was the period you think where you started to like catch on that this was more than just like a simple niche, that there was legs to this industry and to this medium? Because, you know, for several years, right, like it was just going straight to VHS and you guys were unaware of the kind of wider fandom and all that kind of stuff, right? Yeah, I mean, well... I'm clueless most of the time anyway, but uh, the only reason I knew that it was popular is that the work kept coming. You know, it just kept coming. It wasn't this, like, one-time shot, you know, outlier thing. It was becoming the thing, you know, because the work just kept coming. Um, It's like I was working at Magnitude 8 with Kevin Seymour for many years, and... um, and we're doing shows like like uh, El Hazard, shows that I've never, I don't know, um, I've never heard about them again. Like I said, it was so early in the situation, all this work started coming in, and new stuff is coming, and new stuff is coming. So it's, I like these shows, I don't know if they got the audience that they could have, <laughs> but um, but yeah, that was it. You know, we're, we're working, living our life, doing our thing, and just, you know, anime, sure, great, let's do it. Is it ever weird to you when, like, I've brought up, I remember an El Hazard DVD for you to sign, and they're coming out with, like, remasters on a Blu-ray. Is it ever weird to you to see, like, 20-plus years later, a series that you just completely forgot about, like, just kind of did it and done, come back into your life in a weird way? (laughs) Yeah, in fact, um, at a convention, it must have been two years ago, somebody brought a DVD of a show I totally forgotten about and i literally went am i in this this?" (laughs) (laughs) and somebody who was like right there as i'm autographing they're on their phone they're googling and they're like oh yeah see look you're this character i'm like oh my god well that's the other thing though too having started this career so long ago and working on so many different shows playing so many different characters little characters big characters whatever a lot of characters in one whatever um i forget i have forgotten you know it's it's like there's only so many things i can remember in life 
and uh, some of those things get thrown by the wayside. So it's like, great, thank you for remembering me in this, because I had forgotten. <laughs> well, I mean, you mentioned, like, of all the work, like, eventually, just to kind of maybe, I guess, sign of the times to see that, oh, hey, you know, there is legs to this, and it's, it's starting yeah. to become big. Once you guys get to Digimon, which I'm pretty sure was the first role I ever heard you, and certainly Tom in, of course, Agumon. With that, you guys obviously were working, it was no longer just like a straight-to-video sort of thing. You were yeah. It was going to be on network television and get like a big, big audience. I was one of them. <laughs> so I'm curious as to like, what was kind of the initial vibe going in, especially because this was coming in just out of the huge wave of hype that Pokemon, you know, had taken the world by storm. And, yeah. and also, again, you were going to be working, I imagine, at a much faster clip because you had to get those episodes on air at a quicker pace. So I'm kind of curious as to what the process was first kind of going into that and as it was uh, initially recording. It's, it became, like, standardized by that point. We, we knew what we were doing. They knew what they were doing. Um, we knew how many loops per hour we should, you know, be shooting for. Um, you know, I mean, that's part of the thing, too. You had to be, um, you had to be able to act. You had to be able to sync the dub. Uh, and you had to be able to do it quickly, you know, because you're, you're going in there. You have your two hours and you have, I don't know, maybe depending on how many loops you have per episode, you might be recording three or four episodes. So got to get it done, got to do it. And um, the directors, it's so funny. They would be all like, uh, okay, try, try it more like this, or you're thinking of this. If you would get to a line where they wanted it a certain way, and uh, they're just trying to be nice to the actor. And I'd be like, you know what, give me a line reading. I don't care. It's, it's not, it's not going to offend me. You know, we're going to move it along quicker. If you want it said a certain way, tell me how you want it, <laughs> you know? And, uh, and the fact that it was going on TV didn't even, literally didn't even phase me at the time. I was just doing the work. It didn't matter to me um, if it went straight to VHS, if it went to network TV, or now if it just goes straight to streaming or Crunchyroll or whatever. As long as people are able to access it and watch it, I don't care where it's going. I just, that's, I don't know, that's just me. Some people are like, oh, it's on network TV. Ooh, I don't care. Wherever they can see it is great. <laughs> yeah. You can't tell me you weren't at least the least bit excited. You and Tom weren't the least bit excited when you saw the big kind of merchandising storm that happened with uh, Digimon in its wake, though, right? Like, the fact that, like, this was, like, a series that it was getting out there in a way that, like, no nothing else you guys had done up to that point had, though, right? <laughs> strange because at this point in life I might feel like that because I I know more or whatever but at the time it was just about the work it was just thank god the show is continuing because <laughs> now we can can you continue to work you know great 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 oh Digimon's going on oh a new iteration of Digimon great we get to keep working that that was really the vibe back then we just needed to make money um but but it was fun, and we loved the characters. And also in the beginning, right, you say Pokemon was already out there. So we're like, is this even going to take off because Pokemon is out there? But it 
was completely different Mm -hmm. and they found their own audience. Thank goodness. That was totally great. You talk about the merchandising thing. I have maybe one little Lily Montoy. Um, (laughs) You know, I mean, in recent years, there's a Agumon Funko, right? And that's great. But back then, like, we were totally unaware of any kind of merchandising. We never went to a store, a toy store or whatever, or um, I never saw a commercial for Digimon toys. Maybe there were some, but I never saw them. There Um, were on, like, the network, you know, like on Fox Kids, obviously, where it was airing. Yeah, but uh, I will say this. One time, um, one of Tom's cousins, I think, who was talking uh, from New York, said, oh, and that that uh, Digimon toy is really great. And he's like, what? Yeah, there's this talking Agumon toy. And Tom's like, what? So he, we actually made a trip to Toys R Us and found this Agumon toy that had his voice in it doing lines as Agumon. And he's like, this is BS. Hello? You gotta pay me for this. <laughs> he, had to, he had to go to his agent and say, you need to do something about this because they're selling this toy with my voice in it and I haven't been paid. So, wow. Great. (laughs) But they took care of that. Um, Thank goodness. So, so, toy companies, come on, get real. (laughs) What about when the the movie came out and that was a mass release thing? Was there any kind of excitement there? Um, yes. Yes and no. (laughs) Again, you know, I was just really happy that, you know, we got to work on this thing and it it came out really great. The script was hilarious for me anyway. My scenes as Ty's mom, great. Couldn't ask for more as an actor. (laughs) It's like, like, I have a clip of of Ty's mom pinned to my Twitter because the scenes are just so hilarious. Um, But uh, I think we saw a private screening, like for us. I think, if I remember, I never actually got to see it out in a real movie theater, but uh, but I hear it was uh, it was fun. <laughs> <laughs> I'm that's, sure it would have been great to be there, but I wasn't there. <laughs> that's awesome. That's awesome. Obviously, you said the work just continued and going into the the late '90s, early 2000s, mm-hmm. off of the success of Digimon and several other shows that became big. There's a huge wave of shows that started getting dubbed and, and more and more of them were like airing on television and that's how I got into anime. But then I am kind of curious about this. There's kind of the dark times. I know like the, the late 2000s, early 2010s, kind of before Crunchyroll kicked off and really kind of became a big thing. I remember at that time, like less and less shows, especially out in LA, were getting dubbed because... And you saw, like, Bandai sadly collapsed and all this other stuff. What was kind of, like, that period in your career? And it seemed like the industry was facing some hard times, especially with piracy. And I hate to say this on air, but I will admit I'm just as guilty as everyone else, especially when I was in junior high. Hey, I grew up in the era where Livewire was a huge thing. People my age, we were, like, illegally downloading music constantly. I do my part now. Like, I have my Country Roll subscription, my Funimation now, and I have a whole wall of anime DVDs and Blu-rays that I've bought from, like, Right Stuff, Mm -hmm. that you sign that stuff. But kind of what was going on at, at that period 
when things were looking bleak? Was there ever like a feeling that oh this industry might not be a, a thing anymore? Like what was kind of the the vibes there? N- not really. Not there. Um, the content never stopped coming. Um, and it was uh, it was less frequent though, right? No. Um. Well, although I will say this. Uh. I when the anime wasn't happening. I would do live action dubbing, uh, like foreign movies, foreign TV series. Uh, we would be dubbing those into English too. And then another anime would come along. So we'd be doing that. There was, it seemed like there was always some work happening, no matter what was happening in the industry. There was always something. Um, but, uh, but the glut of anime that, that came in after that has never stopped. Um, of course the acting pool has also, just exponentially exploded there's like way more act in the beginning there was like us there was like a dozen people right now there's like thousands of voice actors just in la um luckily there's a lot of work too so you know i mean i'm not working as much in anime it's like i'll work on this show it's like 12 episodes i'll work on this show it's like eight episodes instead of working on like Rurouni Kenshin for several years doing this anime, which was, that was great. Oh my God, I love that show. Same, um, same. <laughs> Cal, I, I, just side note, I mean, I love so many of your roles. You mentioned Meryl, I love her, but I think Kaoru might be my favorite one of your roles personally. Wow. awesome. So. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, and also games started happening more, for me anyway. I guess a lot of people were in games like the whole time, but I, I wasn't really, I, it depends on the auditions that you get. So, uh, yeah, in recent years, I've been able to do a, a couple more games than I, than I used to. So that's great. That's really fun. And how uh, do you enjoy doing video game roles? Like I, I know for one, they pay a lot more than you know, that <laughs> stuff. How is like the actual like process of it? And, and what have been like the favorite video game roles you've done so far? I mean, Mercedes in, Fire Emblem Three Houses is probably like the one right now. Um, she's awesome. I'm like so blessed that I got that part. Um, but yeah, recording for video games is completely different. Uh, like an anime, and here's the thing: anime and live action dubbing is a, it's harder. It's um, a harder skill set than recording original animation, which pays a ton, or video games which pays a ton. So it's like you're getting paid less for having more skills to dub anime and live action dubbing. Um, but when you're doing a video game, um, it's a longer session. You're not in there for two hours. It's usually a four hour session. So you have to really take care of your voice that whole time. Cause you'll literally be recording solid for an hour and then get like a 10 minute break then come back and record for another solid hour, 10 minute break, another. So it's, um, it's, it's more taxing physically to do a video game, but there is no sync involved. You know, you're recording your lines, you're acting your lines. Um, once in a while there will, there will be a series of like timed lines. You just have to fit them in the time frame, but there's no sync still. So, in that respect, it's you can breathe easier because you don't have to worry about sinking every little lip flap. <laughs> they're they're gonna do that for you afterwards. 
sessions, but you know, much, much more relaxed skill set. <laughs> As you said, anime is probably in a better place than it's been in ever in, in the yeah. States. I mean, I saw like, even in spite of like the pandemic, like the Demon Slayer movie, it's like $40 million here in the, in the United States, which is crazy. Cause most yeah. for years, like anime, unless it was a Pokemon movie or like the Digimon yeah. film, they were always released in limited, you know, screens. And as someone who grew up in Oklahoma, like I never got to see that stuff, you know, cause you had to be in LA cause it would only come out, like I said, 40 screens and like for like yeah. two weeks or something. Which was always, I will just say too, quick little side, but like for years, like when Disney was the one handling the distribution and dubs of Miyazaki films, the fact that they wouldn't give them big marketing pushes or huge like wide releases. I'm like, come on, you're Disney. You have the money to do this. Get behind this in a real way. Yeah. Yeah, But now, like they said, like, huh? That would have been nice. Yeah. Like Demon (laughs) Slayer, like was a huge, huge success. And, like, the recent Dragon Ball films have done really well. Like, it's so weird putting aside the quality themselves. But, like, now, I mean, like, the Cowboy Bebop live-action series just drops, you know, and other stuff. Like, it's so... How does it feel now, like, to know that, like, this stuff, it is basically mainstream now? Having come from it, from the humble beginnings that you started in, Uh you know? Well, that's great. I mean, like, everything has to evolve, and it's has evolved and it continues to evolve and uh i mean it's great that it's now a career path for people you know people can say i love this i want to pursue this which is not what i had in the beginning it was not a thing that you could even pursue really um so yeah no i i love it i love that it's uh it's gaining so much popularity that it's more mainstream more people are uh, are seeing it or pursuing it or you know the whole bit <laughs> <laughs> nice a few more questions i luckily many years ago finally got to meet you and hom in person at a con but for many years up up until just a last couple of years you guys hadn't really done conventions yeah. but like cons in themselves for anime at least you know they kind of started out a small thing in the 90s and then got bigger in the 2000s and and now just cons in general not even just for like anime but like just across the country are like a a big thing which is pretty cool with tons of guests what was the point that kind of finally got you guys to start getting um going on the con route which very thankful you have by the way because we wouldn't have gotten to meet you had that not happened yeah well um I guess when, when me and Tom uh, were asked to go to one together, that, that to me was, was better. You know, uh, I would rather do two conventions a year with Tom than like three or four by myself because uh, it's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> My first big convention was years ago. Um, I think it was OhioCon. And I, I, first of all, I get claustrophobic. <laughs> so this was huge. It was a huge con. There was a gazillion people, and I was kind of freaking out. It was a little bit too much for me. So for years after that, I'm just like, I don't want to do that again. I can't do that. It's like too much. I can't take it. Um, but uh, you know, uh, over the years, you learn to uh, to manage your anxiety, and of course, if I'm going with Tom, it's way better. 
So I love it when the two of us get to go. Because if we're on a panel, if we're doing our own panel, it's like, it's much more fun than me just doing my own panel, which I do once in a while. I still do uh, alone. I'll go on a uh, convention. But uh, it's, it's like doing a one-woman show for an hour. You know, here's your audience. Here's the show. You know, it takes a lot of focus, takes a lot of energy. You want to connect. Um, whereas if it's me and Tom together, it's that too. But it's also us with our banter together, which makes us comfortable. And so um, it's just, it's better with Tom. <laughs> <laughs> you looking forward to hopefully getting back into the con world next year? Yeah. Yeah, we're, we're going to two. Um, you know. If any more come along, we'll we'll see about that. But uh, we've got a lot of traveling planned next year already, anyway. So two yeah, conventions is enough. Gotta <laughs> gotta make up for lost times with the, yeah. the pandemic for sure. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. We're doing some traveling. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't blame you. And then just uh, want to know what are some dream roles they would love to do like whether it's just like ips franchises or, or whatever that you would just you would love to lend your voice in in any capacity well that would be uh star trek or star wars <laughs> if I could do a voice in any of those shows that would be my major goal in life achieved um unfortunately i never get auditions for those shows you know, and if you don't get the audition, you, you don't have a chance to get it. Um, you know, unless you're married to a producer or something, maybe that would help. But um, I got one, one audition um, to play a computer voice on Star Trek Picard. It was the only audition I've ever gotten. And uh, just getting the opportunity itself must have been yeah, incredible. It was I, yes, I literally, I got size and i'm like oh my god oh my god so you know calm yourself so you can do the audition um i didn't get it sadly could have done it would have been great i don't know who they hired but i watched the show obviously <laughs> and uh heard the computer voice and i'm like yeah you know that's great Did you, <laughs> with with respect to the the person who got the job because obviously you know everybody deserves to work and, and all of yeah. that when you heard it, did you not think, I'm just curious, did you think, well, I could have done that better <laughs> or something? <laughs> like just... <laughs> uh, I mean, not better, but it was, I just don't, sometimes you don't know why they pick a certain voice. I mean, it works, but you're like, I know six or eight people who could have done that exact same thing. I don't know. Mm. I don't know. Well, hey. Whatever. Congrats to the person who got it. You know, it's yeah, again. Yeah. Congrats we... to you, baby, because you're living your best life. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. It's um, maybe like Bad Batch season two. Maybe there'll be a role for you down the line. Who knows? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Something. Anything. Yeah. It's always cool like hearing steve bloom like i remember when i when i was in the theater seeing solo he's like was like one of the the stormtroopers it oh God. it was so surreal i was like oh my god spike spiegel <laughs> <laughs> he's a stormtrooper oh yeah that guy's everywhere mm -hmm. <laughs> definitely 
Well, Dorothy, this has been a lot of fun. Thank you so much for your time uh, for this first podcast. It's always a pleasure getting to talk to you, whether it's just on Twitter, at cons, and uh, here uh, doing these uh, these video chats. So, uh, yeah, it's uh, very insightful. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for tuning in, fellow listeners. I hope you had as much fun listening to this episode as I had speaking with Dorothy. Dorothy can be found online on Twitter at DorothyFun and on Instagram at DotFun, where she makes all sorts of fun posts. And if you're a fan of English-dubbed anime like myself, keep supporting her and all the work all English-dubbed actors have been providing us over the years by supporting the official releases of these movies and shows, whether watching them live on Toonami watching them streamed on Crunchyroll or Funimation Now, purchasing anime Blu-rays on sites like Right Stuff, any of those official places, as that is how they are all able to keep working, which we all want if you, like me, love English dubs of anime and want them to continue getting produced. So thank you so much for listening to this first episode. I hope you come back to listen more as more episodes come out in the future for the Pop Up Volume podcast. I'm your host, Justin Gallitly, signing out. Cheers. Cheers.